It's kind of nice having a little helper, isn't it? Um, anyway, I just want to thank everybody for the privilege to stand here before you tonight and to, uh, to bring the first message in our Word series, the Gospel of John. Uh, and I want to say hello to anybody that's a visitor tonight. Make sure that you feel welcome, and if you don't, come see me later, and uh, I'll give you a personal hug if you want one, otherwise forget it. Um, anyway, we're going to get into John 1 tonight, and before we do, I want to do a little informal poll, and it's kind of hard to see because it's really bright up here, but um, you can have, in this poll, you get, I want everybody to raise their hand on one of three answers to this question. The question is, when Jesus came into existence... Okay, when was that? Was it at Bethlehem? That's the answer number one. Was it that he had no beginning and has no end? Or I don't know. So those are your three answers. Okay, so think about it. You ready? So if your answer is Jesus came into existence at Bethlehem, raise your hand. Okay, you got a handful. Okay. Jesus has never come into existence. He's always been and always will be. Raise your hand. Okay, lots of people. And I don't know. Raise your hand. Not sure. Okay, cool. All right, I just want to kind of see. So here's the actual correct answer. Uh, Jesus had no beginning, and he had no end. Um, We're going to get into point number one, which is Jesus is God with skin on. And I'm going to read from John 1, verses 1 and 2. It says this, In the beginning... The Word already existed. And by the way, when the Bible calls it the Word, that's Jesus, okay? It already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. And if those of you who are Bible scholars want to look into Hebrews 1, uh, there's kind of a parallel verse. It says that Jesus is the exact representation of God's being. And then in Colossians 1, verse 15, it also says Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. So um, that begs the question. Um, There's this mystery called the Trinity. And you won't find the word Trinity in the Bible, but let me describe what the Trinity is. This is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And if you look into what that means, it means that God is one. We don't believe in three gods. We believe in one God. But we believe that he has expressed himself in three ways, as God the Father and as God the Son, meaning Jesus, and as God the Holy Spirit. And this is actually a huge mystery, and people have for many, many years tried to explain the unexplainable. Um, And not that we're all stupid people, but trying to teach calculus to an ant is kind of about what I equate this to. God's ways are so much higher than ours that as human beings, we can't wrap our brains around it. So I'm going to give you the best illustration that I can think of, and it'll probably come about that, uh, that far into explaining what the Trinity is. But imagine this for a moment. H2O we know as water, but we know it as liquid, we know it as solid ice, and we know it as vapor. So, kind of God is sort of kind of like that, but it kind of doesn't reach where it needs to. But anyway, so Jesus is fully God. He's equal with the Father. He's equal with the Holy Spirit. And he's always been. So that's point number one. God revealed himself to Jesus with skin on. So, God is Jesus. Jesus is God. If you want to know God, get to know Jesus. Point number two is this. Jesus is the creator of all things. 
According to John 1, verse 3, the New Living Translation is what I use on this. It says, God created everything through him, meaning Jesus, and nothing was created except through him. And again, Hebrews 1 has some parallel verses if you want to study that later. And 10 through 12 says this, God also says to the Son, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundation of the earth and made the heavens with your hands. And then again, Colossians 1, some parallel verses 16 and 17 say this, through him, meaning Jesus, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. So Jesus was actually the creator. I was actually on my way here this, uh, this afternoon. I was thinking to myself, you know, Genesis 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I don't know what picture you get when you think of that. Maybe you think of God as this bearded person standing up in, in heaven somewhere and that he created all things, but he actually did it through Jesus. So when you read Genesis 1.1, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He's actually talking about Jesus created the heavens and the earth. So just a little point in case you hadn't thought about that before. Moving on, point number three. It says this, uh, Jesus is the giver of life and the one true light. And in John 1, verses 4 and 5, it says this, The word, meaning Jesus, gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. And another translation that says the darkness can never overcome it. Now, um, you're going to find this shocking, but at one time I was actually a teenager, and my buddies and I, um, we would get together and we would go to the movies. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confess something to you. We would take our girlfriends with us because, all right, I'm just going to get embarrassing. We want a little kissy-kissy time, right? And so we went, I know, so, <laughs> sorry, that's funny over there. Anyway, Squirrel. Um, anyway, so we go to the movies because we figure we can hang out with our girlfriends and, and um, you know, put our arm around them and pull them close and that sort of thing. And um, while we were at the movie theater, though, this really bad thing happened. We had this little man who, who had a suit on and a little tie, and he would walk down the aisles with a flashlight. And if he caught you kissing your girlfriend, he'd, like, shine this thing in your eyes, and it was awful, and so we quit going to the movie theater. See, the light sometimes is offensive, isn't it? The reason I'm telling you that story is because that light got very offensive for me and my girlfriend, who I end up marrying, so it's all good. So anyway, um, light sometimes is offensive. And sometimes as a believer, when you mention Jesus, he's offensive. And the reason he's offensive as the light is because he has claimed actual superiority to every other belief system in the world. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. No one can come to God except through me. And that's offensive. So the light came into the world, and, and the darkness could not overcome it, but it also doesn't really appreciate it too much, does it? I heard a statistic the other day, and I've never tried this, but if you were to light a single candle and put it in a place where everybody could see it, you would be able to see it for 1.6 miles away. Just one solitary candle, which is kind of amazing to me. Jesus said, you, meaning his disciples, are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And so if you were to take a whole lot of us, candles, with our one little light, 
And if you were to put yourself on display, not for your glory, but for his, imagine how much darkness you could illuminate. Imagine how much darkness could be dispelled if you would just light your own candle and then be with other people who also had lit their candle for Jesus as well. See, Jesus is the light of the world. He's the one true light. And he does dispel darkness, and he does it through us. I don't know about you, but there's times when um, it feels like after reading the news, the world's a pretty dark place. I don't know how you feel about things right now. There's been so much political turmoil. There's been racial turmoil. There's an increase in crime. In a lot of the cities, crime, violent crime is up over 400% over the last year or two. I mean, to wrap your brain around that, every single time I look in the news, and I get so depressed, I actually took a month off from social media and reading the news. I took a month off. It didn't hurt me. I lived, believe it or not. Some of you are thinking, I couldn't go a day. Maybe you should try. There's a lot of negativity out there. There's a lot of stuff that makes you question things. And as I was reading the news and just thinking about all this darkness, there is no other answer for this world except Jesus Christ. He is the light of the world, and you are the light of the world, he said. And so rather than curse the darkness, let's light our candles. Let's continue to just shine for Jesus. And you know what? There's going to be people that are going to be offended by you. There's going to be people that aren't going to like you in your school. And it doesn't mean you walk around like you're holier than they are. What it means is that you simply live for him. You live out loud, and you tell people you love him, and you show them the way. I'm going to say one more thing, um, and since I'm not on staff, I'm allowed to say this, but I'm going to get a little political. The answer is not Joe Biden. The answer is not Donald Trump. The answer is Jesus Christ. He is the one true light. I hope you don't find that controversial, but if you do, you may be made, made to think, think about it tonight. It's not a political issue. It's an issue of the heart. And Jesus is the light of the world, and he is the life. And the only way this world's going to ever change is if we light our candle. So point number three was Jesus is the giver of life and the one true light. Point number four is this. Jesus is the bridge to God. John 1, 10 to 14 says this. Jesus came into the very world that he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became a human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So a question for you tonight. Why did God need to become a man on our behalf? Did you ever ask yourself that question? Why did Jesus have to come? Some of you are saying, well, it's to save us from our sin. Yes. A lot of people think of Jesus as the healer, and he was. A lot of people think of Jesus as the greatest teacher who ever lived, and he was. But why did, he actually, why did God actually have to pour himself into a human body and become one of us? We'll answer that question in a second. First, I want to know, has anybody ever been to the Grand Canyon? Okay. 
I've been to the Grand Canyon, and so I'm going to date myself. It was 35 years ago, and it feels like yesterday. And I don't know whether you got a chance to really go to the Grand Canyon, but here it is the freakiest thing ever. So we took this bus, and I was with a student group of about 50 kids, right, 50 high school students. And we drive in, and there's just like this normal parking lot, right? And then you get out, and you're just walking, and then all of a sudden you come to the edge of this canyon. I thought it was just like this big hole. Oh, it's a hole, right? I have never seen a, a hole this big in my life. It is beyond imagination. I had the chattiest group with me that's probably ever been. These kids were singing, and they were carrying on, and they were, you know, chatting up the storm the whole time they were in Arizona until they got to the Grand Canyon. And they walked to the edge. And everybody was silent for 30 minutes. They did not say a word. They just sat down. And they looked. Imagine that canyon is the separation from one side to the other of mankind, you and me, from God. Only it would be bigger. Our sin has separated us so much from God, it's bigger than the Grand Canyon. It's wider and it's deeper. It's a bottomless pit. And imagine you and your friends have been given a pile of lumber and some nails and some hammers, and you're going to build a bridge from this side to God's side. How far do you think you'd get? Not very. Because if you've ever seen the Grand Canyon, it's nowhere near as big as the separation between us and God because of our sin. It's not even close. That little bridge that people try to build with wood and nails and hammers is just like religion. It doesn't get you very far. It's man's attempt to somehow reach out to God, and it fails every time. We needed a bridge. And so God needed to pour himself into a human body and become the bridge between his side of the chasm, the canyon, and our side. It's the only way it could happen. We could never build a bridge to him. It just would never make it. And so he built the bridge for us. He became our bridge. He became the one who literally poured himself into a human body and became our bridge. Why did he have to do this? Why did it have to be this way? First of all, in order for someone to represent you, he has to be like you. So Jesus had to be human, just like we are, in order to represent us. But he also had to be God in order to be perfect. So he was able to hold up both ends of the covenant, both ends of the promise, God's side and the human side, because he's fully God and fully man. If you look at Hebrews 4, verse 15, it says that Jesus was tempted the same as we are, yet without sin. Fully God, fully man. It's the only way he could represent us. Point four is Jesus is the bridge to God. Let's go on to the last point. Point number five, Jesus is the Lamb of God. John 1, verse 29, and then also jumping to 35 and 36, says this, The next day John, meaning John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples, and as Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there's the Lamb of God. So question, why is Jesus called the Lamb of God? It's kind of an odd name. I mean, I'd rather be called, you know, something better than a lamb. 
Let me bring you back to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, if you look at what God told the Israelites, he said, look, you are sinners, and in order for me to be able to even be in your presence, there's going to have to be an offering made. And so once a year, a man who was called the high priest would go into this place called the Holy of Holies. And a a little-known fact about this is the high priest, every year that he went in there, if he didn't stick to this very much prescribed method of offering a sacrifice, he would literally drop dead in the presence of a holy God. That's how serious God thinks about sin. So they would tie a rope to his leg in case he went in improperly so they could pull him out after he died. That's how serious God thinks of our sin. It's not a joke what we do. It's a serious thing because God is holy. He is all loving, but he is also all holy. So imagine for a moment these sacrifices. Every single year, the high priest would find a perfect spotless lamb. It was a young male lamb. It had no spots. It had no blemishes. It didn't have any broken bones. It was perfect. And he would take this lamb and it would be slaughtered and he would take the blood and he would take the lamb and he would offer it in the Holy of Holies before Almighty God. And it was burned there. Now, according to the book of Hebrews, the blood of animals could never take away the sins of people. So why did God have him do it? It was a picture of what one day Jesus would do. That's why John the Baptist called Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was saying, look, guys, do you remember all those times that the high priest has been sacrificing lambs all these years? All that was was a foreshadowing that one day the true Lamb of God would come and he would give himself on a cross to pay for the sins of everybody. That's why Jesus was called the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And that's why all these foreshadowings in the Old Testament happened. All of these sacrifices, year after year after year, were done. They could never take away sin, but they would point to Jesus. Those of you who are into math might like this better than talking about a Grand Canyon that you could never cross. Imagine for a moment, math students, That every day that you lived, you would rack up a $10 million debt. The next day, $10 million would be added to that debt. And the next day, $10 million and $10 million. And every day you went to work, you worked your middle income job. Let's say you're making a whole $15 an hour. You get your paycheck to try to pay off that debt. But yet the debt just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And no matter how hard you worked, the debt would never get paid. And then one day, a man walked up to you, or a woman, and said, Listen, you've got a debt that is absolutely unpayable. No matter what you do in your life, it just keeps getting bigger, and it'll never be paid off. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to pay your debt off, and then I'm going to hand you my checkbook, and whatever you need for your life, not want, but whatever you need in your life, I'll pay for that too. Maybe that's not the greatest illustration, but that's kind of what Jesus did for you. He paid your debt. 
He didn't just say, okay, I'm going to just forget it and just let it go. It had to be paid because the holiness of God demands payment. God couldn't just say to you, it's okay, I'm going to just forgive it. It had to be paid. This wasn't a cheap forgiveness. This was a forgiveness that cost Jesus everything. He left his home in heaven, poured himself into a human body, and died for you. And he did it because of his love. His love, the only thing that's bigger than even his holiness, in my estimation, is his love for you. My final thought What is our role as followers of Jesus? I mentioned that is to shine his light. But there's also something else. Along with shining that light, there's this that's found in John 1, verses 40 to 42, and then 44 to 46. This is after John the Baptist had pointed out Jesus as the Lamb of God. This is after Jesus got baptized. It says this, it says, Andrew, who was Simon Peter's brother, was one of the men who heard what John the Baptist had said about Jesus, and then he went and followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Philip was from Bethsaida and Andrew in Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, We have found the very person that Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? So Philip replied, Come and see for yourself. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand right now, but do you know anybody that's lost, that needs Jesus? You know, you know there is. It's interesting to me that Andrew found his brother, Peter. It's interesting to me that Philip went and found Nathaniel, who was apparently his friend, somebody that lived in his hometown. See, they had found the answer. They had found the one true light. They had found the one that was the life. And they put their faith in him. And they said, listen, this isn't just for me. This is for you too. So I want you to come meet him. And so they did. They went with him. So what's your job? Listen, it's not really that hard. Shine your light. Live for Jesus. And your family and friends, invite him. Well, I'm not a very good person. I really, you know, I'm not very outgoing. They, maybe they weren't either. It's okay. I'll ask you a question some, a second. If you were a homeless person and you were hungry and you found out that just a block over from where you were staying in a cardboard box under a bridge, there was a man who was baking bread and every morning all you had to do is just go get it and he'd give it to you for free. Would you keep it all to yourself, or would you tell your other friends who are also homeless? I think you'd go tell your friends and family. 
And look, so just out of that humility in your heart that you would have to just say, listen, I'm not perfect, but I know somebody that loves you and would love to meet you. Let me tell you about Jesus. And if you don't have the courage to do that and tell them your story, which, by the way, is very compelling, bring them here. Bring them to church with you. Let them meet your Jesus. So that's our job. It's to shine the light. It's to bring people to Jesus, to invite them. So tonight, um, some of the things I said to you maybe make you realize that there's some decisions that need to be made. If Jesus is who he said he was, if he really is the light of the world, if he really is God with skin on, if he really is the creator of all things, if he really is the bridge to God, then I'm going to invite you to make him the king of your life. And I'm not going to have you sing 17 verses of just as I am without one plea or anything like that. The old people know what I'm talking about. But I'm just going to invite you. And I'm not even going to make you repeat it out loud, but I do want you to see your leader tonight. And, and you can say a prayer, and I'm not even going to close my eyes, and you don't have to either, because there's nothing special about closing your eyes. It's just where you just say, Jesus, I don't know everything about you, but I know that I want you to be my Savior, because I... I don't have any hope without you. My debt just keeps getting bigger every day. And without you, I've got no hope. If you'll start there, he'll meet you there. Just start there. And then see what happens. But you know what? You don't go it alone. You got small groups. You got small group leaders. You got Todd, most awesome high school pastor that I know of. You got a lot of coaches here. You got... A lot of people that love you very much see one of them and say, look, I don't get it all. Will you help me? And we will. We'll help you. We've been there. So don't make fun of me, but when I was five, I was in Sunday school class, and we sang this little song, and it said, into my heart, into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today. Come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. When I was five years old, I sang that song and I meant it. And I didn't get the theology behind it. I didn't understand all of everything. I just knew that I wanted Jesus in my life. And he came in, and guess what? All these years later, he's still there. And he didn't leave me an infant. He's been with me through a lot of hard times, a lot of mountains and a lot of valleys. He's never left me, and he won't leave you either. And so tonight, if you need to make some time to spend and talk with your leader, I'd encourage you to do that. To just say that prayer, Jesus, come into my heart, and he will. He'll never leave you. Second thing is, I guess, um, as we get ready to wrap up, is this. If you've already asked him in, do you love your family and friends enough to share Jesus with them? That's not to lay guilt. That's just to invite you to invite them to meet your Jesus. You got questions? We all do. You got leaders that'll help you get answers. If I can meet any of you afterward, I'll be happy to do that. I'll sit with you the rest of the night, you and your friend. We'll sit together. Sit with your youth group leader, your small group leader. Sit with them. 
and talk it out until you get the answers you need. We're here for you. Let's close with prayer. Father, thank you so much for the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that he came for us. He was our bridge to you. He's the only way, the only truth, the only life. And Lord, tonight, for those who maybe said that prayer for the first time in their lives, in their hearts, Lord God, in the quietness of their thoughts, I pray that they would grow, Lord God, and get to really know you. Pray, Heavenly Father, for those that are in some trouble right now. Maybe they've got some friends that are in trouble that need Jesus really desperately. I pray that they would invite their family and their friends to know you as well. And above all, Lord God, help us to shine our light the way that you shined yours for us. We give you praise, Lord Jesus. We thank you for being so good to us. We pray it all in your name. Amen.